Hello, everybody. Welcome back uh, to this panel, which is about moving up, which is going to focus very much on sort of how to take the next step in your career with filmmakers who have taken the next step in their career <laughs> or indeed helped other creatives that they work with to take the next step in their career. Um, so as before, we will talk for, say, 40, 45 minutes, and then you'll ask some, um, any questions that you would like to. So to introduce our panel, we have uh, here, we have Ray Panthaki, who is an actor, writer, director, producer, and has a company called Urban Way Productions. You were named a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit in 2014, and you've made several features, including Kid Adulthood and Convenience, and worked with uh, mentors like Barbara Broccoli and Christine Langan, which is great because we'll talk a lot about mentoring and how crucial that can be in this process of moving to the next stage. Uh, and then we have Christiana Abahon-Green, who is an award-winning drama director. You were selected for the BAFTA Elevate 2017 scheme. You were also a mentee on women in film and television, and you went to the National Film and Television School to train as a director. You've made lots of shorts, uh, been long-listed for BAFTA, directed TV drama like Father Brown and uh, Holby City, amongst others, and you've got features in development. Then we have Matthew Bates, and uh, Matthew's an agent at Sales Screen. It's a fantastic agency with lots of very exciting clients. Uh, you rep writers, directors, and producers, as an the agency does, and you have wonderful clients like Clio Bernard, Carol Morley, Andrea Arnold, Yorgos Lanthimos, amongst many others. And we'll talk about some of your um, some of the people that you represent who aren't those names yet, but are on their way to that and how you're dealing with them. Uh, and then we have Anna Valdez-Hanks at the end, who's an award-winning cinematographer. You were the first cinematographer to be named, I believe, as a, a Breakthrough Brit in 2015, and you selected for the Berlinale Talent Campus 2016. And you have worked on lots of high-end dramas, and your uh, feature, Hope Gap, is in, am I right? It's in post-production at the moment, featuring Annette Benning and Bill Nye and Josh O'Connor? Yeah. So, lots of um, different kinds of people represented on this panel, which will, which will be great, and hopefully is representative of, of the people that we have in this room. So, what we asked them to do was to come up with an anecdote or something which uh, they kind of had learnt, I guess, or wish they'd known when they were starting out, but I feel mean asking them to all say that straight away. So I think what we'll do is actually just talk, if you could each just talk a little bit about how you started in the industry, getting into the industry, Ray, if you'd like to kick off with yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started off uh, really um, as a very shy kid, and um, I, my initial want and to, to be in this industry was that I was at school and there was a boy in my class who was blonde hair, blue eyes, and he was in all these commercials and, and TV shows and stuff, and he got so much attention at school and I wanted some of that. So I, I went home one day and I asked my parents to uh, try and get me into a local drama school, theatre school. I was about 11, 12 years old. And uh, they were shocked because I didn't ever speak to anyone. I was completely shy. Um, but I did. They did get me in and they phoned a few local theatre schools. One of them said... Uh, uh, send Ray down so he can come and watch. And I went there and I was surrounded by all these extrovert kids that were running around screaming and performing. And, but there was something about watching, I couldn't sing or dance, but it was something about watching the acting that just drew me in and made me keep going back week after week. And then they sort of had an agency affiliated to them and I got my first professional role at like uh, sort of 15 or something. 
And then really I never looked back because the director that had cast me in that short film um, then took me onto his feature that he did a couple of years later. And then that same director I sort of brought on to full circle, brought on to direct Kidulthood many years later. So that's how I started off in it. And um, fortunately, I, I mean, I didn't go to sort of formal drama school, but I just sort of learned on the job from a very young age. So that sounds to me like um, your piece of advice straight off the bat would be about the people that you collaborate and how important that is. In keeping those relationships, keeping those relationships absolutely. going, yeah. because that seems to have forged those very early years for you. Sure. That's, and you're still working yeah, yeah. With that For, fortunately, today. I mean, there's been there's been times in between where I've had to, I've had to get other jobs and you know and earn money, etc. But um, always stuck with the dream and with the drive and passion of what I wanted to what I wanted to do and, and achieve. Great. We'll come back to that. Um, Christiana, tell us about how you got into directing. Um, I was passionate about storytelling, so at school I loved kind of theatre, arts, or was in all the school plays, liked writing stories that were up on walls and loved photography. And um, it was only when I was thinking about a degree course that I came across media production, and it wasn't something that I was aware of. I hadn't really thought about how television, how film was put together. I'd love watching lots of TV and lots of film, but it was at that point that something kind of uh, light went off, and I kind of thought, oh, this is something I can study for three years, and it's something I love and I'm passionate about. So I did a degree to start with um, in media production at um, Bournemouth University. And then it was within that, in the process of making radio pieces, making short films, um, other bits of kind of magazine shows that I was passionate about directing. And it was then trying to find a way of thinking how I could do this as a career. Um, and I came across the National Film and Television School just as I was looking through directory. And again, I thought, oh, this is the place for me. I could go here and learn a bit more about this craft that I really want to do. So it took a few years. I did an apprenticeship for two years on a, it was a skill set thing. It was called FT2. And you worked in different kind of areas of production. So you were in the camera department, you were in art department, you were with the ADs. So you, you got an idea of how production worked. Um, and during that time, I made a short film that went to lots of festivals. Um, and that was one of the things that got me into the National Film School. So I then went on and studied directing for another three years after that. So I do think I could have become a doctor and earned lots of money, but instead I decided to follow this sort of mad dream. And it was just that idea of trying to do something that I was really passionate about. And, and then through there, I've started doing you know, TV and, again, all of that still takes a long time, even if you've been to National Film School. And I was just saying, at the moment, I'm directing Call the Midwife, so I'm in the middle of a block. So if I fall asleep, you'll understand why. <laughs> so do you think it made it, before we even get to this, the, um, the more recent stages of your career, just thinking about the National Film and Television School, because that's probably a big choice for some people in the room about whether to go to somewhere like that, because actually there's lots of people who might have made shorts... Mm anyway mm. you know is it a good move did that do you think that was a significant step for you it, it was for me but it, only that I had no idea how the industry worked I didn't know who to contact where you got work 
So it gave an understanding of what this thing, the industry was. And even though at that point there wasn't, you finished and, and they kind of shoved you out the door. So it wasn't a you know, stepping stone onto work, but you had a, a real grounding in your craft. So from that point of view, it was, it was Worth great. It. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, presumably contacts. No? Yeah. Not so I much. mean, you, well, you've, got the, you've always got that on your CV that you went to the National Film School. So yeah. that, but I mean, that the people that you actually were at school with, that you, or college with, that you might yeah. then collaborate with. Not, you didn't really... You've kind of run across people over the years, but everyone's okay. trying well, to Everybody did that for themselves, clearly. Matthew, well, it'd be interesting to, to know how you started it in your career and also then how you help other people start their careers. So if you could start with yourself, please. So I, um, I kind of got into it by mistake, which I think is probably true of lots of agents. It's not a job you particularly know about. Uh, I, I read English at university, so I obviously had an interest in stories and storytelling. And then I went on and qualified as a lawyer um, and worked just long enough to realize I couldn't spend my life as a lawyer. Uh, so stop that nonsense, and um, <laughs> got a job as an assistant to an agent, and then gradually built a client list from there. And uh, it's it, it's a nice combination that background of always having read, always having being uh, enjoying being immersed in stories and thinking about stories. Um, and, and that kind of coincides with a certain amount of uh, technical understanding and um, an understanding of contracts, which came from training as a lawyer. So that's how I got into it. And then it's a, it's a fairly long, everything's going to be about long, slow, steady progression to build a list of clients and then for those clients themselves to get a degree of recognition and to begin to uh, earn proper livings. Um, so that's how I started, and the question of how you get clients going is a bigger question. But it is a bigger question. <laughs> we might maybe we might come back to that one because it, it, one. and I think also how the moment to approach a, an agent as a as a writer or director or producer. I think yeah, we'll come back to those. Good, um, Anna. Um, so yeah, I I started with a misconception, which was it, after I left university, at which I'd studied something completely unrelated to film. I, um, I was quite political and I thought I wanted to make documentaries, so I enrolled in a 16mm filmmaking course in London for a year, part-time course, not knowing that you would never shoot a documentary on film, ever. It would be way too expensive. It was a ridiculous idea. Um, but it was a great course, and, and um, they got me very interested in, in cinema and all kinds of different cinema. Um, and from there, the BBC were filming something in the college that I was at, and I just went along as an unpaid... I think I was running at first, um, and I sort of spoke to the producer, and he got me on another um, BBC drama as a camera trainee, again unpaid, so I did some unpaid work experience, because by this time I'd kind of gravitated towards the camera. Um, I'd always been interested in photography and always taken a lot of photos, so the two interests of cinema and, and photography sort of converged for me. Um, and... You know, I met someone in one of those early jobs that, that explained to me that I could be a camera assistant and that this was a paid role, which was total news to me. Um, <laughs> quite exciting, so I didn't know what else I was going to do. So, um, so I started to work for, as a camera trainee from there and uh, work on short films at first and, and lots, of, lots of dramas and features. And then I just worked my way up through um, 
the grades of the camera department, which is camera trainee, clapper loader, focus filler, also known as second assistant, first assistant camera. And then uh, quite early on, I, um, I met a wonderful um, person, a cameraman called David Odd, um, a director of photography called David Odd, who he and I just kind of hit it off. He's, he's about 70 now. Um, and sort of retiring, but keeps getting offered really tasty work, so he keeps on retiring. But he, um, he, he kind of just, we just liked each other, and he was just teaching me things and getting me doing operating for him. And you know, he became a, a kind of an informal mentor and a very good friend. And it was, it was definitely him who's instrumental in um, kind of opening my mind creatively um, to be, you know, hopefully a better cinematographer, but also helping me along the way as well. So getting me those crucial kind of second unit DOP jobs and even helping me get my first break. So that's, that's yeah. Hmm. Okay, well, I think it would be really interesting to talk about, I think this industry in particular, and this is a helpful thing and not a helpful thing, is that um, there's a sense that you can slightly, with luck, bypass a lot of levels and suddenly you find yourself, I don't know, in your film's premiering at Sundance and it was your first film, or whatever the thing is. Um, and it's something that's kind of promulgated in this industry quite a lot and it's kind of great because it means that you think that's always there as something that could happen and it's great to kind of dream about that. But the negative side of that is that you don't think about all those other hoops you might have to jump through which are actually quite important for building your career. So I'm kind of interested how you navigate that, that, those two things at the same time. So when are you playing the kind of the short game in terms of knowing what you might want to do within the next year, let's say, that might take you... To, how do you even know what your goals are? Do you sit there and work out what your goals are and formulate a plan? Because at the moment, it sounds like there was quite a lot of this happened and then I kind of fell into that and then that happened and, and I think that's coming, sort of coming from all of you. I mean, would you see that as a positive thing, looking back at that now? Um, from my point of view, I, in a way, yeah, because I, when I started acting and I was starting to get roles, I knew quite early on that I was never getting the roles that I wanted to play or what that I felt inside myself that I could play or for whatever reason I wasn't being seen for them, whether it be I didn't look right or my skin color or whatever it was. And I just felt like, there was a certain glass ceiling that I kept hitting, which was that I'll never be seen as a leading actor, which I feel I have the ability to do. So I, therefore, um, that sparked off my interest in filmmaking because it originally came from a place of frustration, mm -hmm. which was like, if you're not going to give me the roles, then I'm going to create them to show you that I can play these roles. And so I guess, I don't know if that answers your well, question. Well, it does very much. Yeah, so I, I guess um, I, did, I didn't get into producing and filmmaking by luck. It came from a place of frustration, which was I have this dream to be a successful actor and play the best roles I can play, but there's certain limitations, and I have to create those roles to break those limitations that everyone else is putting on me. Mm. So actually being open-minded was a really, in yeah. that situation was a very good thing because you could adapt. Yeah, and then I realized I had a huge passion for storytelling and, 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 it, and I realized that I, I, I want to tell stories and that can be from being an actor, portraying someone's story or from creating a story and, uh, and, and it became an equal passion to my acting. Mm. But it's still very much about not giving up. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. just, you know, uh, I think the luck thing, you know, people hold on to that a lot but I, I feel like 
we see these cases and, and we remember these cases of people that have come out of drama school, they get their first job and they're a Hollywood movie star. That is a very, very, very small percentage. So I think it's all about hard work. Yeah. Yeah. What you say? Um, for me, I'd yeah. say uh, as soon as I realised uh, what directing was and that I wanted to do it, um, it's just a passion that I was never willing to give up on. So although after film school and beyond, there have been various sort of challenges and you know people not wanting to give opportunities. Um, again, as a minority, as a woman, you know those things you were less likely to be seen for roles, be considered for them. But it was still then about well, what work was available and making sure that the work I did was always to the best of my ability. So for me, there was always learning in that. I was always stretching myself. Um, there were sort of short films and other projects that I was trying to do, so I was pushing that at the same time. And, you know, people do say, oh, just go and make a short, but it's about then getting funding to do it. And, you know, with your future projects, getting interest, getting financial support because you don't want to make, I didn't ever want to make a film that just sat in a cupboard. So it was about how to work within the industry and with the industry to do what I wanted to do. But I, I, I just was never willing to give up. So just keep on. And, and how, you know, this is, I suppose this is what I'm asking about in terms of how, you know, how far ahead are you playing a game in a way? How strategic have you been how strategic were you when you came out of National Film and Television School? Not at all. Not was, at all? Not at okay. all. I didn't have so a clue. So it's about what, yeah. whatever happens next and then yeah. one thing leads to the next yeah. rather than mm. in two years' time, I want to be directing an episode of Doctors on yeah. TV. It, no, that wasn't, you know, it was just reaching out for lots of different opportunities. So, you know, I just contact lots of people and found what came back, where the opportunities were, where there was an opening, and I went that way. And, and I, you know, I guess some people can sort of sit and say, well, I want to do that, and I'm going to do that. And, and you can say that, but that might not happen. So realistically, what do you do in the meantime, mm -hmm. you know, to keep the craft, keep your knowledge, um, and keep going? Mm. Um, I'm just going to jump to Anna for a second on this. Um, w would you say you... I mean, it sounds like you work quite strategic in terms of deciding to learn certain skills to take you on your path to cinematography? Yeah, I think, um, I think you strategize differently the more you learn about how the whole thing works. So probably early on, <coughs> the strategies reflected what I knew then, which was I knew that I wanted to be a cinematographer and I wanted to impress this, this mentor guy who'd kind of, you know, friend who'd taken me on as an assistant because um, it's, it, it seemed like he'd seen something in me and I wasn't sure what the hell that was, but I definitely wanted to make sure that I could prove it. <laughs> so then I would, you know, the strategy there was me trying to make, you know, films and, and you know, for myself to get halfway good at it um, as, a, as a cinematographer. So, so there was a strategy kind of early on that was quite limited in scopes. I didn't know what would come later than that. And then I must say, as, as my career's progressed now, I do try to strategize quite carefully, I try to really think, well, what is it I really want? You know, where do I want to be in five years' time? And what do I need to do this year to get there? Because I think it's, I think one thing that is really important is wherever you are in your career, if you really think about what it is you want, you know, what it is you really want, what it is you're really interested in, then that will help guide you in your decisions. Because, for example, there's different parts of the industry. There's, you know, 
example, there's, there's radio, there's factual entertainment, there's TV drama, there's feature films. Do you have an inclination to one part of this industry or another? If you do, think about that. And I think it's good to, to kind of, as much as you can, sort of zone in on what you really want. Because when opportunities come, sometimes it is difficult. I mean, it's great when opportunities come because at the beginning there are none. So when they, when they do come, you, you have a desire to just grab everything. So if, if you really kind of um, work out what you want, then it might help you to discriminate between one route and another route, which I think is quite helpful. And it will also help give you that motivation as well to carry on. And do you think you've, would you, would you say you've wasted, looking back, that you've wasted your time doing anything that you kind of regret, that you think, oh, I didn't kind of didn't need to do that. I did it because I thought I should. Um, not really. I think what a lot of my contemporaries as camera assistants do is they, they would work, they'd take every job that came their way. And in a sense, if you're, if, if you're doing that, but yet you want to be doing something slightly different, maybe it's best to not take every job that comes your way. So I think there probably are jobs that I took that I regret because I could have been doing something else. And there's certainly jobs that I think I probably should have taken. So it would have been, you know, really great to do. Um, but at the time, there were different reasons in there. So you, you, you never have a perfect set of reasons or kind of knowledge about your decisions. Um, Matthew, it would be really interesting, I think, if you could talk a little bit about some of... I mean, you don't have to be specific about the people, obviously, um, about some of your clients who you have had... who've been with you for a while, who now are having... who, who are names that we'll probably all know and have seen their films in this room, but might have been with you at a time when they just started making shorts or you'd found something exciting and interesting about them and, and what it was that um, made you take them on. Um, I'll, I'll quickly say something about luck as well. Yeah. Oh, do you? Because it's something I say quite a lot. That, that the obvious thing about about our world is that that you're very vulnerable to luck, to, to good and bad luck, um, and that and you have to kind of acknowledge that when you go into the creative industries. There's not a science, so you're not following something very obvious, but. The big point is that you make your own luck, uh, and when you realise that you, something fortunate has happened, you will realise that's because you had worked hard to get to that point, and you had um, made sure that you were open to lucky moments. So I think that's very crucial about mm. luck. Um, uh, about um, building careers, uh, I think what's very interesting about what, what we've just heard and, and strikes a real chord is that in the very early days, um, trying to be too strategic and too focused can probably be limiting because a bit like Anna said, you, you, if you keep a broader mind in the early days, you may discover that, that while you're absolutely determined you're going to be a screenwriter, that you're actually your abilities of storytelling lie in a different field. Um, so I think early on, a level of pragmatism while you discover yourself and find your voice is, is really a good thing to do. Um, the lovely thing about strategizing uh, is that you can give yourself some sort of plan so at least you don't feel that you're floating in some wild, empty sea and just being pushed around in all sorts of directions. So there, there is a point to strategizing, to try to think of, an, of a place you want to get to, uh, and then you think about the tactics of how to get there. Um, and perhaps even in the early days, it's worth doing that 
broadly, just to give yourself some kind of course to navigate, but, uh, but, but keep, a, keep an open mind. Um, but yes, as your career goes on, I think strategizing becomes more important. Um, and uh, some of the choices you're going to make become a bit more crucial. Um, so, uh, the, uh, thinking about how some of my clients have developed, it's, it's very difficult to say that this thing then follows on from the next thing that follows on from the next thing. But, but what's obvious is that um, a certain level of doing something rather brilliantly will draw masses of attention to people and allow them suddenly to, to take a next big step. So the, a very obvious sort of turning point for someone can be, for example, I think you've had this, um, being nominated for a BAFTA for a short film, can suddenly promote you much further forward. And then, and then the trick is to be ready for that moment. And so rather than sit staring in the headlights going this a wonderful thing that I've been working towards is happening to me, I don't really know what to do next, to, to, to know with confidence how you're going to propel yourself from there. Um, but uh, I could rattle on for ages about, about people's careers, but I, I think that's, that, that kind of follows in with... Well, I, I, no, I think it's great, because I think it, it, is, it, it seems to be that the consensus is have... <laughs> um, yeah, be ready... To have, a have some kind of strategy or goal, but be ready to step outside that, because actually that's when interesting things might happen and opportunities that you just wouldn't have opened yourself up to otherwise. Uh, there might be good moments to talk about talent schemes because there are so many at the moment, it feels like, um, and quite a lot of them probably quite relevant. I don't know how much they might have come up in other sessions, but just things, I don't know if you've had clients that have found particular talent schemes useful. Um, really helpful to... Again, it, often it's, it's, a, it's an anchor, it's, it provides a structure. Um, there's, um, just plucking something out of the air, there's a brilliant guy called Philip Shelley who runs a course, a screenwriting course that, that's sort of sponsored by Channel 4. Um, it, some people come out of that course having had a very productive time, some people find it frustrating, but what it does is it gives a, a very specific structure to getting on and writing a script and it gives um, uh, it gives you a chance to have professionals uh, look over a script as it's being written, and then Philip's very clever about putting the people who go through his course in touch with other people in the industry. So that is a, is a very good example of a talent course that um, some people can really make work for them. They, these things are never absolutely guaranteed, and as I say, some people have a good time on that course, some have a less good time, but, but it's those talent courses um, allow you to feel that you are actually getting engaged with the industry. You're really encountering it. You're not just looking at it. You're, you're digging in there. Um, and that's the first place when you might actually find that. And I think that sense of, yes, I'm, I'm now meeting people and talking to them and talking to professionals, I think is incredibly important in the early days just to feel the sense of movement forward. And actually, not, not just the early days, because I, <laughs> because I think it's very... There are, there are increasingly more sort of mid... what they call mid-career 
mentoring schemes happening as well, because I think it's very easy to do some of those early ones. I'm thinking things like the Edinburgh Talent Lab, the, it used to be called Think, Shoot, Distribute, which takes place during the London Film Festival, which is a really great one to apply for, the week-long um, course for that. And then, and then you're suddenly thrown out at the other end, and I think you still sort of need the help later on. Um, should we talk about mentoring a little bit? Because I think there are two, you know, there's the more structured mentoring schemes which you can apply for, and then there's the informal mentoring, which happens a lot, um, which you were talking about, you know, and you were, you were talking about. Um, let's, let's start with you, because you specifically, in your biography, mentioned Christine Langan and Barbara Broccoli. Yeah, so... How, how do those mentorships come about so, for you? So they came about through being named as a breakthrough, BAFTA Breakthrough Brit in 2014. And up until that point, I wouldn't have known where to turn to find a mentor, really. And again, as your career progresses, there's different glass ceilings that come in the way. And um, the Breakthrough Brit scheme for me was a real career changer because the frustrations I was feeling at that time, um, that just alleviated all of that because I was then able to get gain advice from not people just within BAFTA who are amazing and really helpful, but also those people that they pointed me in the direction that we discussed who would be really valuable to me as mentors. So, I mean, I got to meet Christopher Nolan. I got to sit and have tea and talk with Barbara Broccoli and Christine Vachon and all these people that I admire. And to, to gain that advice from people like that was incredible. I learned so much just from those few hours of meeting with them. And... Um, Again, it's sort of like the sort of next level of schemes, really. Um, and the, the Breakthrough Brit thing was amazing for me in, in, in that way. Um, but in terms of, like, I think that is a good way of finding a mentor. I don't know how you would approach, really, to find a mentor prior to that if you don't know anyone in the industry. Um, so I never really had anyone guiding me in that mm. sense, apart from my agents, really. Um, but as a filmmaker, no, I didn't. And it was uh, those contacts really came through BAFTA. Right. Um, any, anybody else in terms of sort of maybe on the more informal mentoring level and how that might have worked? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say that I, I think these talent schemes are great. I think there's lots of fantastic schemes out there. I think they're also very hard to get onto. And, you know, you might apply, you might spend a long time applying to many, many schemes and you may not get into any of them. And that's disappointing. You may get onto them, that's brilliant. You, you may find it quite hard to get onto them. There are, I think, it, you have to then get really resourceful and think, you know, how how do I then break into the industry if you're not, if you don't have any kind of foothold at all? Um, and Sometimes you have to be very resourceful. Like one time we were filming in London, and these and these um, people across the road held up this big sign saying "work experience?" question <laughs> mark And you know, we took them all for work experience. Um, someone that I've worked with that is now doing really well. She was working in a pub, and the line producer, you know, she had a chat with the line producer. She she got work experience with us, and and you know, it goes on like this. And I could keep going like this, you know. You, you might need to be a bit cheeky. You might need to approach people that you wouldn't otherwise approach. And um, and if you do start working, then remember that my my belief is that when you're when you're kind of established in the industry, essentially it's it's wonderful our jobs, but we don't 
we don't often get many opportunities to kind of give a lot back and do wonderful things. You know, we're not working for charity. We're not like curing terrible diseases. So um, sometimes if people come to you and say, you know, I'd love some, I'd love it if can we keep in touch? I'd love some help on how to move forward. You're actually really pleased to help them. So don't feel that you can't ask for that help. You know, it's actually really lovely to um, to be able to help people so yeah I'd, I'd, I'd bear that in mind and that it might not be a mentorship but it might be a kind of an informal thing that could develop and then again there's that fine line I mean I'm sure you've all found this I'm sure we all have in the room where people ask the, the difference between being pushy and and sort of like you're the way, just understanding the way that you conduct yourself in the industry and what you're asking because when you're asking for somebody's time whether it's could you read a script or you're stopping them from doing their work yeah, you have to. You have to just. You also have to be interested, to, genuinely interested in who they are, and not be opportunistic and yeah. inauthentic. It, you should only really, you know, want to talk to people that you would want to sit down and have a chat with because you're really interested in who they are, and that mm. needs to be a genuine two-way relationship. Christiana, have you had any um, sort um, of? Well, I did. Uh, one of the mentoring things I did was the Women in Film and yeah. TV um, mentoring scheme. Um, and there, you had a mentor, but it wasn't somebody who would, who could actually kind of further your career. They would just give you pointers about things you could actually do yourself. Mm. And that was, it was frustrating at first, because I thought, you're my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your contact book? Can't you just, yeah, yeah. just this is what I need. But I, the thing that was interesting there was um, in one of the conversations, well, who would you want to meet? Who, who's out there that you haven't met, that you want to go and see? You know, what's stopping you from meeting them? How do you usually go about uh, getting meetings? And I was, well, I do an email. Well, what, let's see your email. What would you write? So, saw the email, just added a few things. It's interesting when the things that you want the things that you won't say about yourself that somebody else can say and just polish what you've said and yeah. sort of think, oh, I sound really good. <laughs> um, and I sent it out to sort of a list of people and, you know, there was a deadline given. He said, all right, well, let's send them out to, you know, within a week, send them out to a few people. Um, and I sent this letter out to people that I thought I couldn't get meetings with and within 24 hours I had, mm. you know, three responses of people saying, yeah, sure, uh, you know, come and have a cup of coffee and we can have a chat. I was really stunned and that was the thing I think that I learned was that if you approach people, they're often willing to give a bit of time. Yeah. It's how you approach them. Yeah. But, but, but do it if you're polite and you know, don't ask for too much. You will, you will get through certain doors. You, you do have to persevere. Um, you know, I often say as long as there's no kind of restraining order, I'm, I'm fine. Wow. I, That's a low know, bar. You know, I, <laughs> I kind of, um, for a short film I did recently, I, you know, somebody suggested Lenny Henry and I had met him, but I, I kind of just emailed and emailed and emailed and tried this and tried that person and tried this person and I did feel that, you know, the police might knock at my door, <laughs> but they didn't and he was in and the he, film. And you got he was him. in the film. So it worked. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Matthew, let's talk a bit about... Uh, agents and um, when is a good time for people to approach an agent or approach you specifically because obviously agents feel very differently about this. Um, how does it work for you? Um, I, I use this uh, slightly twisty thing to get out of Everett, <laughs> where I say, um, um, 
I have a very full client list. I don't take on many new people. I hardly take on anyone. Um, I, but I think this is, a, this is a thing that you can do when you're thinking about approaching agents. And what I say to people is that the times when I take anyone on, it, it, and they're rare, but the times that it happens is because somebody has been referred to me by somebody who I like and trust. And what that means is that, that whoever has been referred has themselves got themselves to a place where they've made enough connections and relationships uh, and have been impressive enough in their own way to have attracted the attention of someone who I respect. And if you haven't reached that point, if you haven't made those relationships yet, if you haven't done something that somebody who's in the business and talks to agents recognizes as being ready and good and interesting, then probably, by definition, you are not ready for an agent. Does that twisted thing make sense? Mm -hmm. if, if you are making relationships with good people and one of those good people says, you now need an agent, I will refer you, that is, that's a good sign. Uh, of course, People look for agents and very often get agents a bit sooner than that. Um, but I sometimes question whether that's actually healthy. But to an extent, I think people should start looking for representation from an agent when they've built up some muscles themselves. Um, I, I've seen it happen, not, thank goodness, with me, but I've seen it with other people where it can be a very, very frustrating experience having an agent early on, too early. And, and um, for both sides, nothing seems to happen. Uh, and a, a client who's come in too soon hasn't, has, has forgets to try and build up those muscles that they need to build up. So that's my definition, that, that you need to be at a certain place. You need to have a, a, a real, beginning to really understand where you're going. Have a voice which is already pretty clear. I'm not in the business of, of creating someone's voice. I'm in the business of recognizing a voice. And it takes a while for writers and directors in particular to really begin to understand their voice. So for me, I, I'm, a, I'm an agent that takes people on probably a bit later than average, but that's my thing. If you're, if you're making relationships and someone says, you need an agent, I'm going to refer you, that's the time to do it. Could you talk a little bit more about the voice? Because this comes up a lot, which I'm sure a lot of you have dealt with this, with people saying to you, you don't understand your own voice, or what is your voice? Or, um, and Because I think it's interesting, I'm just thinking of your client list, but when presumably you might not take somebody on because you might think they have too similar a voice to somebody else on your list. Or does that not happen? It happens less often than you'd imagine. Okay. Um, it, 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 I might take someone, I might not take someone on because I can see that I'm going to be uh, duplicating. Mm. But, but voice, voice is, is difficult and, and it's really, but it's, but it's, but it's also fundamental. Um, the, uh, and at the moment in particular, we seem to be at a place in, in film and television where a strong, unique, compelling individual point of view is, is what everybody is after. Um, and it, it, it's what seems to be getting film financiers and television broadcasters excited. So 
the voice, I guess, is, is your, the, the, the lens through which you see the world and how brilliantly you can then uh, convey that view uh, through the stories you tell and, and the angles you choose to, to, to show your stories to the world. But it's a, it's a, it's a frustrating word because you, it's difficult to define, but, but it's very clear that... Um, that you watch uh, you know, a, a film by Andrea Arnold and, and only Andrea Arnold could have mm -hmm. made that film. And, and, and that excites people. Uh, and, it, and it excites me uh, when I see it. So it, it's difficult and, and voices are people, writers and, and directors who are the people that I know, and I'm sure probably true with actors too, you only find your voice over time, over practice and pushing around things and, and, and learning from, from experience who you really are and what you really want to say. And I feel, I might be, correct me if I'm wrong about this, but I feel like you represent quite a lot of writer-directors. I do. Yes. <laughs> and, but I think that's partly uh, frustratingly the nature of, of British film industry that seems to um, be more willing to put money behind writer-directors somehow. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, that sort of seems to have worked. For me, uh, I don't think every uh, brilliant director is also a good writer, and vice versa. I think those two skills are very different, and it's not always a, a, a sort of obvious that you should be a writer-director. But somehow, at the moment, I seem to have a bunch of writer-directors. Mm. And then it's very clear. I think it's because there's this interest in the voice. It's, it's a less diluted voice if somebody has written and then directed yeah. the same thing. So I'm thinking just, it's interesting just for people who might just be writers in the room, because actually you could potentially, I mean, talking about when a, an agent comes on board or not, because there are a lot of writers I know that actually make good money and are commissioned fairly regularly and actually still haven't quite had a film go into development yet. So they are quite progressed in their career in terms of their skill, but that's not necessarily reflected in the films, amount of films being made. Does that make sense? No, it's true, it's true. Um, but uh, films are, are different. The, the, don't forget there's also radio. Of course, yeah. Uh, stage, television. And on stage and TV, uh, writers are king. Yes. Um, and, and, and this is something that the writers in the room who are beginning should really pay attention to, that um, finding your voice as a film writer, maybe that's not the... the the way to begin to find your voice. Find your voice, perhaps, as a, as a theatre writer. Mm. Think of, uh, and you should be analysing this, think of some of the genius young stage writers who are now doing brilliant pieces of television. The End of the Fucking World, Charlie Cavell started as a stage writer. Um, people like Lucy Kirkwood, Simon Stevens, so many young, brilliantly talented people who go on to write for the screen started on stage that because that's where they really found and then displayed their voices. Oh, yeah, and also with the rise of television and the, now because we've got to fill so much more content for television, it's about dialogue and character a lot of the yeah. time. So there is a big move to looking for yeah, theatre writers. Um, I think maybe we should go out for questions now. If people have questions, please. Oh, there we go. If you could just wait for the mic, please. Hi, I'm Aiding. I'm an assistant editor. It's interesting what you're saying about um, getting in touch with people, because uh, I've recently moved from commercials to 
TV drama. And I did that largely by reaching out to people on IMDb Pro. I've got a question for you, Matthew, about because what I find sometimes when I look up editors whose work I admire um, is that in their context, sometimes they'll have their email address, but sometimes they'll just have their agents. Is it okay for somebody to reach out through somebody's agent for like, hey, do you want to meet for a coffee or something like that? Or is that just something you'd be like, why would I even look at that email? Um, of course it's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and we get it a lot. And uh, certainly at our agency, we make sure that we pass those things on to our clients. The, the hit rate is low of the number of times someone comes back. And, and all we sort of ask for is patience while the client thinks and responds. But it, it's more than okay, it's really quite polite. It, it, it's quite a good way of doing it because the, the individual doesn't feel under direct pressure. Thank you. Any other questions? Yep, yeah, there's just one over there, please. Hi, I'm, I'm Ashley and I'm a writer and I've taken Matthew's course. I'm a recovering barrister. I've, I've written a couple of screenplays which I've got some interest in from producers, which I found through LinkedIn. Um, at what point do I get an agent then? If I, I, there is interest being, being uh, shown in, in some stuff that I've done. Um, it, it's very difficult um, because uh, there's a lot of chicken and egg in right. this business. Um, uh, slightly going back to what I said, if, if the producers that you're working with are like, you're, you're crazy, you, you need an agent, I know these three brilliant people, let me put you in touch with them, then brilliant, let them refer you. If, if, if you are at the stage, for me, just knowing very little about you, but, but hearing that you've got a couple of feature projects in development with producers, that in some ways that could still mean you're quite early on, you're still beginning to find your feet. Um, you probably don't need an agent yet. What might become complicated, and this is where the, the, the chicken and egg and the frustration can click in, is if the producers then want to start giving you contracts to, to cover the formalities of how they're going to deal with you and your screenplays. And, and that's obviously an agent's job to, to negotiate those contracts. But if you don't have an agent, then you are, you're going to need to go to a lawyer and, and spend more money. And that's a frustrating thing, but you would have to think of that as a, an investment in your career. So the, at what point should you be looking for an agent? I still stick to my thing of when the people around you are going, you now need an agent, let me point you in the direction of some good people. Does that include things like right to pitch agreements? Uh, all of those agreements an agent would look at. And um, being an ex-lawyer, I would say this, wouldn't I? But I, uh, pretty much any contract that you don't completely understand, you should have an expert look at when it's to do with your rights in your original content. You just need to feel confident that somebody's looked over it. Um, or better than anything in the very early days is get by without a contract. If someone offers you 200 pounds in a 15 page contract, say, actually I won't bother with the 200 pounds. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's probably terrible advice. <laughs> Uh, any other questions out there? I thought I saw... Oh, yeah, just here. So I realise all the questions have been for Matthew, but um, 
starting out in the creative industry, you're quite vulnerable. So when thinking about approaching an agent, how would we know who to approach and who to trust, in a way? Um, really, really, the, the pool of agents in London is not so huge, and we're nice. So, <laughs> so as far as a, a, um, writer and director's agents goes, who the, who the gang I know, uh, I, I'm sure there are some who are, who are better than others, but, but, but there's no sharks out there. Again, that's probably another awful sweeping statement. <laughs> <laughs> but again, go back to depending on people who you already know mm. and trust to say, here's a person I think will get on with you. Okay, that's maybe the other thing. Oh, sorry, I'm just thinking maybe the other panelists could talk about how you got your agents. Ray. Um, good question. Oh, okay. So I, 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 mean, I can, again, talking from an acting point of view, I put my sort of little bits I had done and I was, you know, at the time, it's important to say that I was trying to source my own work when I was starting out um, and I was, you know, putting myself up for like student films and all sorts of things just to get enough material there to be able to create a showreel. So it was a kind of strategic plan that do as much work as I can off my own back, get enough material for a showreel, and with that showreel, I can then take it out to these uh, adult agencies at the time and see. And, and, and that's what I did. I essentially, once I felt I had enough work, I, um, I sent it out to all the major agencies on VHS. That was how long ago it was. And, um, and uh, yeah, and then got some... 90% of the agencies wrote back to me and said, thanks, but no thanks. And, um, and then I met with the few that did ask me to come in, and I found myself an agent, and I've been with that same acting agent for 17 years. Yeah. And in terms of other, as a producer or a no, um, your other, with your other hats on? Yeah, so eventually it got to a point where I'd done enough sort of uh, producing work off my own back, and I'd written, directed a short, and, and um, written a few projects, and I then used my acting agent to help me source a literary agent at that, at that point, and yep. yeah. Christiana? Um, I've, I've had a few agents since um, film school, and um, you know, probably um, I did have an agent too early on um, at some point, um, and I didn't, and, you know, we sort of circled around each other, but not much was going on from, you know, I was sort of generating the work, so I kept on doing the same sort of jobs, and I was, you know, getting that work directly, and then it would go through the agent for the contract, and you know, all the rest of it. And more recently, I've been recommended to a number of agents, and that's how I found my current agent. So, yeah. Do you have representation? Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I. Obviously, you have to have a showreel to get an agent, so you have to do a certain amount of work, and 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 you know, and, and the first showreel you do, you think, wow, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I think it's good enough. And then five years later, you'll look back on it in shame. You know? <laughs> but so I think I, I think I'd got you know what I thought was a fairly convincing showreel, and wrote an incredibly long email, sent it to some agents, and no, no one got back to me. Um, and then I waited, you know, a couple more years, and the showreel got better, and. Um, and then I kind of realised this thing of, you know, you actually do need... They need to know that they, you're not, they need to somehow have some faith in you via somebody that they know. And um, I did know somebody that they represented. Um, so a much shorter email. 
And, <laughs> and I think I've, I had, had the advice to phone, to phone the agent, speak to the agent assistant, you know, say, I'm, you know, I'm looking for representation, who'd be the best person to contact? And then email, the nice short email, um, and at the end, because people are so busy, you won't always hear back from people. At the end, I just wrote, you know, I appreciate you're busy. I'll give you a quick call on Thursday. Because if you leave the ball in your court, then you can keep kind of perpetuating that conversation. Because they might be quite interested in you, but five minutes later, you're forgotten because there's a hundred other things demanding their attention. Um, so, yeah, that was how that happened. That's a good tip. I'll be calling you. <laughs> I know where you live. Um, was there a question around there? Sorry, I didn't see your hand before. Hi. Um, my question is for you. Sorry, I didn't catch your name. Oh, Ray. Ray. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I'm, I feel like my path so far has been pretty much exactly the same as yours, which is good for me. Um, no. So I've kind of, I'm, I was started acting and then started producing to kind of, and writing my own material to kind of get roles and all of that, but then actually have completely fallen in love with story making and filmmaking and everything like that. But um, one of my issues with it is that a lot of people look at my projects and they're like, mm, no, that's, that'll be a vanity project. Um, so I just kind of wondered if you ever had like that same thing, if you're, put, if you're like kind of giving yourself little roles as well. Yeah. Um, if you ever kind of have had that, and if you have, how do you deal with that and get people to have that faith? Absolutely. Um, I have had that, and I think that's the time where you've got to be a little bit clever about it, and you've got to kind of think, well, if people are saying this, then maybe on this one, I need to just make the film that with other actors who may... Be, sometimes you've got to be really, really honest with yourself as well, um, and... Feel if you're not right for that character or you know that someone else will be better is maybe put that person in it get the film made and then earn yourself the ability on the next one to go right now I'm calling the shots because I was successful with the last one um, so I think that would be a really strategic way to do it um, because when it comes to films everyone's looking there's a business side to this and everyone's looking for someone that's bankable for their movie, uh, the financiers are. And so if you're really clever about it, if you've got a great script, go down the route of first time round, possibly putting other people in it and giving yourself a smaller role. And that's what I did to start with. And then, um, and then eventually you earn, if it's successful enough, you earn your stripes to be able to say, right, now I'm calling the shots. I'm playing that role. So I feel like you have to start off like that, really, and just, and it's hard because you're trying to forward your acting career, but I would say take small steps and give yourself a smaller role first. Good advice. I'm afraid that we are out of our hour. That went very quickly. Um, please join me in thanking the panellists. <laughs>